The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. I am at Chris Sheeran, yes, on the Twitter machine. To the man to my right, your left on your radio dial, Lou DiPietro, at Lou DiPietro, yes, on the Twitter machine. Our guest, who's joining us at the outset of the show, has yet to get on Twitter, and I applaud him for that. I did try, <laughs> I did try to have a dual Twitter handle, Bald Eagle, but he didn't want to go for it. So wasn't in. No. Wasn't in. Ian Eagle joins us. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate you coming on board. A rare summer spot for me. <laughs> this is usually outside the realm of of my whole existence. Yeah. Because I like both of you. I'm I'm in. I I, I we appreciate it, and uh, we're gonna get right down to brass tacks. Actually, well, he, he, he does so much during the basketball season. That I think he deserves the entire summer off. Don't he does. You? Well, he does football Hello, too. Thank yes. You. Yes. There you go. I I wish. Mr. Eagle was the number one on CBS for football because th- there's nothing I like more than s- r- putting my rear end on a couch and listening to Ian call a football game. Yeah, and mostly because now when we do, if we do get him, we usually have to watch the Jets, <clears throat> which is kind of tough. It's so. a catch-22. Yeah. <laughs> but. There's nothing I like more than Chris's rear end. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that out. Anyway, uh <laughs> Let's no, we won't. <laughs> okay, let's get right down to brass tacks with the Nets here. Um, you were on with Evan Roberts on WFAN not too long yep. ago, and he asked you about Darren Williams. And first and foremost, you, you broke it down. Whereas you know the guys making the most money on the team, two of the three guys making the most money on a team out of Joe Johnson and Darren Williams, you thought the Nets would pretty much either try to trade or cut bait with Williams. And you proved to be Kreskin and looked into your crystal ball, and you were right. So he signs with the Mavericks. Now, you also said about him, it wasn't just what he does on the court. It's what you do behind the scenes, the kind of leadership qualities you bring. When you pay someone that kind of money, it isn't just what he does at 7.30 at night. It's all-encompassing, and I think the concern could be based on a lot of what's happening behind the scenes. So let me ask you this. It's obvious that the Nets are a better basketball team with Darren Williams running the point. But Mm -hmm. moving forward, cohesively as a unit, I've been in that locker room. I've sensed some animosity in that locker room. I know you've been in that locker room, too. What do you think about that moving forward? Are they better off as a team without him? Well, I think they believe they are, which is the biggest part of this equation. Uh, They paid him a lot of money, $98.7 million dollars. And when you pay that kind of money, it also brings a lot of responsibility, not just putting up numbers, uh, not just what you do on the floor. There was a growing feeling that the dynamic of this team was not working. They went for broke. They traded for Kevin Garnett. They traded for Paul Pierce. They committed financially like no other team in the NBA. Ultimately, they felt like they had to reshuffle the deck so that they would have some financial flexibility moving forward and analyze the whole attitude of the team. And at the forefront of that attitude was Darren Williams. They clearly believed that they needed to go in a different direction, what their identity is, what they're all about, And as you try to build a cohesive unit, as we saw with the Golden State Warriors, you need talent, but you need chemistry. Yeah. And the chemistry part was certainly falling short of the mark. And does that now, Ian, does that fall upon the uh, 
seven foot and size 20 shoe of Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young, are they next in line to pretty much get the locker room in order? Does that fall on them? It does to some degree. I think Jared Jack is a leader, even when he's not been a prime time player. Guys respect him, respect his effort, not just, again, on the court, but off the court. The way you bond with your teammates, uh, the way you handle adversity, the way you may handle the media. It's all part of the process. So, yes, Brooke Lopez is getting paid big money. Thaddeus Young got re-signed at a large number. I think they like those two guys not only as players, but as people, people that are coachable, people that want to be a part of it, and people they believe can be in the court. And, and, you know, there was some speculation that came out, and, and, you know, this is from second, third-hand stories, but there was a story about, you know, uh, Lionel and Darren uh, getting after each other at a meeting that was supposed to bring everybody closer together, that they, they said that Darren Williams had to be restrained. And there's a lot of uh, speculation, too, out there that the, this team now is kind of falling under the mold that Lionel Hollins wants to have as a team. Now, something that was brought up in this press conference, and I thought was very astute, uh, I forget who did it, but, you know, this is, I think it was our Sarah Kustak, by the way, and it doesn't surprise anybody that it was astute coming from her. But she asked Brooke Lopez how important it was to just have some continuity with a head coach. Because if you look at it, in his seven years, last year was his seventh year, he had six different head coaches. And if you count Tom Barese. Yeah, you say, Tom Barese makes seven. That's seven count. in seven right. years. I mean, moving forward, just having some continuity and now maybe – having the guys and getting younger and getting more athletic, this may be more of what Lionel Hollins wants on his basketball team. Well, there's no doubt that Lionel Hollins and Billy King are working in unison. And there were legitimate questions prior to this between the coach-GM dynamic as to whether or not everybody was on the same page. Uh, Lionel's stamp is definitely on this team. And... Yeah, of course there's something to continuity and building trust and building relationships. Lionel Hollins is a very straightforward guy. Uh, the filter is not necessarily one that uh, you would see in head coaches around the NBA. Yeah, his, filter, his filter's never plugged in. <laughs> no, and that can work both ways. Right. That can be really positive. When you're trying to get your message across and you're not beating around the bush and you're telling it like it is, and it can be construed as negative when the person that is on the other end of the criticism can't handle it. So you can draw your own conclusions in the Lionel-Darren dynamic. Uh, there's a very good chance that Darren just didn't want to hear what the head coach was saying. There's a very good chance that Darren didn't want to hear what his former head coach in Utah was saying. It doesn't mean that the coach is always right, but it does mean that the coach has the right to share his opinion. How he goes about it, uh, that's based on your own personal preference on how you deal with people, how you deal with players, uh, building confidence, and then testing the boundaries of where a player's confidence lies. 
moving forward, look at the team. They're very young. It's a young group now. Jared Jack is the old man of the group. <laughs> and I think that's been done for a reason. Uh, I think, A, to get under the financial burden that they were dealing with the last couple of years. That's the obvious part. But, B, because they have a coach that has very strong opinions of how things need to be done. And oftentimes, young players who are busting their butt and trying to make a living and stay in this league are more open to those ideas and carrying them out. And I'm sure the overall of this roster is a byproduct of that philosophy. With all the changes now, and you mentioned how this is a young team, but is Brooke Lopez really the unquestioned, quote-unquote, leader of this team at this point now? You know, Lou, I, I think if you know Brooke, you know that that's not going to be natural to him, where he's demanding of certain players or uh, trying to lead by being overly vocal or verbal. Brooke works hard, works at his game, is about as nice a guy as you're going to meet in the NBA. And I think he's one of those guys that is more of a lead-by-example type. I don't think he's going to automatically change his personality now that he signed this new contract and the Nets indicated that they want him here for the long haul. You can't change who you are. You are who you are. But I don't think they're asking Brooke to be anything other than what he is. and That's a seven-footer that's among the best interior scorers in the NBA. Uh, we know that a lot of success has come at the point guard position and then building outside the point guard position. The Nets tried it with Darren Williams. They got to the second round. That's the farthest they got in the playoffs during Darren's time with the team. And they made some very big decisions and some impactful decisions moving forward that uh, they needed to change their roster. So uh, this is the direction they're going in now. And, you know, they brought in Shane Larkin, uh, who played with the Knicks last year. And then you mentioned Jarrett Jack and his leadership qualities, but also these these two point guards, Steve Blake, was traded to the Pistons recently. Yep. Uh, they had him as well. But a lot of pick and roll. I mean, these two are known for their prowess in the pick and roll. So is that another reason why maybe these guys were brought in uh, under Lionel's watch? Yeah, I think so. I think also when you look at moves like this, you look back on the head coach and where he was, and the Memphis Grizzlies, they were built on uh, tough interior play, pound the ball inside, but also a quicker point guard that understood angles and could use his speed zigzagging and working his way around the paint area, creating for his teammates. Jared Jack is not Mike Conley. We know that. He's a different kind of right. player. We don't know what Shane Larkin is. And Shane Larkin, who was miscast in New York and may have been dealing with an injury but didn't seem to fit the triangle offense, uh, this could resuscitate his career. If he watches tape of Mike Conley in Memphis and sees what Lionel Hollins demanded out of his point guard, that would go a long way in his preparation for the upcoming season. With this this group of point guards, too, i, I got to mention, Ryan Boatwright has been playing very well for the Nets in the summer league uh, so far in Vegas and Orlando. Maybe could end up in this equation somewhere, too, eventually. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt he's opened some eyes. And Markel Brown, I think it pushed him a little bit. Yep. Brown has looked sharper in recent games as well. Uh, I still don't see him as a natural point. I see him as a hybrid. 
and an emergency point guard if necessary, but I don't think that's his future. He's a defensive stopper who really needs to improve his offense, and we've seen some signs of that jump shot developing, and, and that's really what it's going to come down to for Markel Brown. But Ryan Boatwright's a competitor. I did enough UConn games over his four years to tell you, uh, this guy will fight you tooth and nail. He is probably five foot eleven. I know he's listed at six foot. He's slight. The question will be whether or not he can handle the wear and tear. But he's a Lionel Hollins kind of guy. There's no doubt about it. Hit the floor battle you for everything i just don't know if physically he's going to be able uh, to do it day in and day out and i think the same question still is out there for shane larkin whether or not he can handle the physical aspect of the nba being a smallish guard you know you brought up fight tooth and nail for you with with boat right ian and i gotta i gotta be honest looking at the roster now you got a guy like willie reed who's fighting he's been in the nba d league uh, for his entire career. He's got a couple of call-ups, but nothing very significant. I mean, he's looking to prove something. Then you have Thomas Robinson, who who did tear his MCL, but he'll be back for training camp. This is another guy who basically put it on himself. This is not what I envisioned. You know, he was a lottery pick. And, you know, what's gone on in his career, he said, right. it's not, uh, you know, this is not what I want to be remembered as. You know, they have a lot of guys with chips on their shoulders and a lot of guys who you said who are in Hollins's image. So, you know, right away, you cannot just discount this Nets team. You got to see the product that's put on the floor and you got to see what happens defensively. But it looks like they could have some success this year. They could, and I think Boyan Bogdanovich is another part of this conversation. They expect improvement. They don't expect the Boyan Bogdanovich that they saw that was tentative at times last year, that was trying to figure out what his role was and trying to develop a niche in the NBA. That's hard. It's a hard transition. We know that. By the playoffs, you saw the capabilities of Bogdanovich and the way he can take over games offensively. Uh, the Bargnani signing, which, look, if you're paying him $10, $11 million a year, you say, well, uh, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. <laughs> if you're paying him $1.5, you say, all right, it's worth a flyer. If, right. if he comes in with a chip on his shoulder, by the way, similar to what you just mentioned uh, with Thomas Robinson. Mm-hmm. And then we've had a long conversation about the Nets, 15 minutes, and we haven't mentioned Joe Johnson yet. Right. And Joe is the credibility. And that's so where Lou is about, going next. So. That's, that was going to be my next question, was where <laughs> yeah. he fits in. That's, that's the credibility. I don't know when it's all said and done what his role is going to be. I wouldn't be shocked if he comes off the bench for them this year. That would not shock me in the least bit. I know on the surface you say, well, wait a second, offensively, will they have enough to put out there on the floor in a starting lineup? The way that Jared Jack plays the game and he's not a natural point guard, if indeed he's your starter, you might be better served having Joe Johnson in a bench role, second unit, and being the anchor of that, and then finishing games. Right. You know, just because you don't start doesn't mean you don't finish. But matching him up against second unit guys and not forcing him to play the power forward spot. There were times where he had to match up against opposing yeah. stretch fours. That takes a toll on your body. Joe is going to be in his 15th year in the league. And you've ne- you never heard anything, anything from him when he had to do it. He just went no, out there and did he it. he just did it. But I think behind the scenes, uh, I think it's, it was frustrating yeah. for him because uh, as Paul Pierce kind of welcomed the role, and, you know, Paul does a little rope-a-dope on his defensive prowess. <laughs> 
Joe is still a body up kind of guy. Yeah. And Joe was getting banged around and holding his own, but I think Joe is going to find himself in a, a more advantageous role to do the things that he wants to do out there this season. I don't mean to rush the bit here with Joe Johnson, but, you know, his contract is expiring this year. So, and the Nets don't have a first-round pick until, what is it, 2019? I believe so, yep. yeah. Uh, I mean, would you, if the Nets aren't doing well and a team needs a guy like a Joe Johnson, could you envision them trading him for a, for a pick or two? Yeah, a definitive yes on that. Okay. Based on the way the season goes, based on the way that Joe's playing, based on the needs of other teams. I would tell you that the mindset of the Nets right now is Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was their number one pick this year. They acquired him from Portland. And in many ways, they see Chris McCullough, the rookie out of Syracuse, recovering from a horrific leg injury as their number one pick for next year. Now, that's not to say that they don't get themselves into the first round next year, they don't make a deal, but as of right now, that's part of their visual of... They don't expect McCullough to be a big-time player for them coming up just based on the physical aspect and the lack of experience. Mm -hmm. But down the road, they think that Chris McCullough could have been a top-ten pick in 2016, and they got him late in the first round in 2015. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what the Sixers, in a way, were banking on with Joel Embiid, although that didn't work out so well now that he looks like he's going to miss this season as well. But... It's kind of a look ahead, like you said, to, you know, that's a first-round pick for next year in addition to wherever they may wherever yeah. they may go and whatever they may get. The Sixers are on that five-year plan like Sid from uh, Big Daddy. Yeah, maybe it's a ten-year plan. <laughs> Hopefully they don't end up at working at Hooters. You know what's amazing to me, guys, <laughs> is that the NBA very quietly has become basically an 11-month-a-year sport. Yeah. And the buzz that they got feeding off of the finals into the draft, into the free agent period, has been unprecedented for them. The NFL figured that out along the way, and and they've done a great job of dominating the headlines over the course of extended periods, even when it's not football season. I think the NBA has really uh, set itself up nicely for a lot of intrigue and a lot of drama. They've, uh, They've capitalized in a big way. I have I have two questions that are somewhat unrelated. So I'm going to go with the first one being just off what you just said. With everything that happened with DeAndre Jordan and the Mavericks and the Clippers and everything this year, there was a lot of intrigue in the last few days of the moratorium. Adam Silver said he's not ready to change anything yet, but do you see eventually at some point this moratorium shrinking or something being changed to prevent that from happening again? Because if... You know, if the league doesn't do something, if a team did that and said, oh, we're going to sign you, and then all of a sudden on the day where the contracts are over, like, yeah, no, just kidding, we signed someone else, the union would be furious. But on the other hand, it almost seems like the Mavericks have no recourse for getting spurned by a guy who they thought they had an agreement with. Right. Well, here's my, my viewpoint on it. I think there are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that we're not privy to. There are a lot of wink-wink things that take place between agents and GMs conversations that aren't supposed to be taking place that uh, are done through uh, back sources, whatever it might be. So, you know, let's not be naive and think that uh, these things don't happen. They do. This one just happened in a very public way, and the way it played out now with social media and the immediate nature of it 
we're getting a play-by-play of the activity. And that was just never the case before. You know, we would just kind of get the final word on, on how things went down. So I think we're highly sensitized to it compared to all the years where these things were taking place, but we just didn't know about them. Does the league have to address it? This is where it gets tough because I do think the league benefited in a big way from all of the attention and the minute-by-minute activity that took place that played out on various outlets. So it's almost a catch-22. The NBA, deep down, liked the publicity. The end result, maybe not so much. And if this became a trend, then they probably would have to do something about it. But the fact that short-term, they probably do not have to make any significant changes to the moratorium period and, and the way that it works. I think you'll see the same thing next year. My follow-up question to that, then, is also about the Dallas Mavericks, and it's also about Darren Williams, who we've talked about at, at length here. Was that maybe then a fortuitous moment for the Mavericks where now the Nets buy out Darren and now they have the money for him? Yeah, I, I think it was in some ways. Uh, I do think Dallas had to go back to the drawing board. And mind you, uh, you're at the big boy table. You know, these things happen. Uh, there are a lot of things. They're playing a high-level game of poker when you're in free agency. And Dallas has benefited from that in the past. And obviously this year they got hurt by it with DeAndre Jordan changing his mind and, and going back to the Clippers. Dallas is getting a player that can help them. You know, amidst all of our conversation about Darren Williams, we talked about it earlier with Andrea Bargnani. You like Andrea Bargnani a lot more at $1.5 million compared to $11 million. You like Darren Williams a lot more at the $5 million that he's making compared to the $21 million. And I don't think Darren is coming in with the same expectations that he would have come in if he signed that maximum deal with Dallas a few years ago. So the circumstances are actually set up well for Darren to flourish the team he has around him, that remains to be seen. And the guys he goes against every night in the Western Conference at the point guard position, we don't have to go up and down the list. But no, we do not. It out. Yep. It's a challenge every single night. So Darren is going to have to pick up his game. There's no doubt about it. I think he's still capable, and I think maybe the change of scenery will do him some good. Rick Carlisle, you're on the clock. <laughs> yeah. And look, Rick's another guy. Uh, he says it like it is. Yeah. He might dress it up a little bit more. Uh, he's gotten he, into some dust-ups that we've heard about with some players. Uh, just a few. Just a few. Uh, Rajon Rondo, maybe? Who? Yeah. <laughs> Their old point guard? championship ring that he can always bust out and say, hey, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. A vision. Uh, look, Darren is aware of the reputation at this point. I think Darren Williams is going to go in highly motivated, going back home. I was just telling Lou, I was just telling Lou Ian, he will go back there and he will return to his all-star form with the team around him and, you know, not the pressure that was on his shoulders in Brooklyn coming to New York and, you know, trying to move the Nets from New Jersey to Brooklyn and be a winner. Uh, I think he'll go back to Dallas. He'll, he, like you said, he's in a great situation. He's back home. He doesn't have the huge salary that he's going to be, that's going to weigh him down for all that pressure to, you know, 
force him into playing. I just think he's going to be relaxed and he's going to be back to what he was in Utah, an all-star. But we'll see. Like you said, every night, the competition he goes up against in the Western Conference, he has to bring his A game. He can't it's take, stacked. He can't, stacked in the West can't take any games off. No doubt. All right, Ian Eagle, you are off the hot seat. Listen, we really appreciate you coming on. It you know, takes this show uh, from the Z level to the A level. We appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> I, I just want to run through the alphabet. So I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled. Guys, great to talk to you. Yep. Chris, keep it up. If you want to go with the bald eagle Twitter thing, uh, I'm not going to stop you. You, you do what you got to do. <laughs> you have to tweet, though. No, 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 no. I, I'm participating. <laughs> But I can't stop you. <laughs> I got you, buddy. You you have a good rest of your. So- oh wait, before you go, when can we see you next? W- what do you got going on? What's what's cooking? Uh, well, uh, I I have a very small role in the movie Southpaw with. Uh, do you really? Gyllenhaal. Yeah. So if you go to the theaters, you you might see me as a reporter with a very mysterious past. Ooh. You're not you're not pulling legs. You're being serious here. Not pulling legs. I am pulling legs about the. The role it, that was not in the script, reporter with mysterious past. I just added that part for motivation. But I, I do play a reporter in Southpaw. Look at you! Yeah, good for you, Bird. Now I'm going to have to see Southpaw. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blink. <laughs> Don't blink. All right, buddy. Have a great summer. We look forward to uh, not only uh, you calling Nets games and other games around the NBA, also the NFL as well. We appreciate it. All right, guys. All, All right, the best. We'll take talk care, buddy. All right, take care. There he goes, Ian Eagle, giving us some time here on the show. Wow, what a spot! He, he's always great. But I got I got to say this. I think I really think in my heart, Darren will turn it around in Dallas because of all those reasons I talked about and and Ian talked about. But at the same time, for the Brooklyn Nets, and I know this is kind of harsh to say, but it's kind of like the Nets just had chemo and removed the tumor. Yeah, I mean, you said that you think he's going to go back to being an all-star in Dallas, and even if he does, that's fine because he wasn't in Brooklyn. So just because something works somewhere else doesn't mean you can lament anymore that it didn't work, you know, here or it could have worked here or this. You know, the situation wasn't good. It needed to be rectified. It has, regardless of the outcome or the consequences of the outcome on the other side – What's done is done. It's really that, that's really the only way to put it. What's done is done. Move on. You know, one of those point guards he's going to have to face is Damian Lillard, who could have been yeah. could have been a net himself. Could have been a net. Gerald Wallace got one glorious season as a net instead, though. You know, I mean, it's what's done is done. He's got the Spurs. You know, right? Tony right. Parker. <laughs> he's got uh, Oklahoma City. There's um, what's that guy's name? Uh, Chris Paul. He's got he, Paul yeah. in L.A. He's got Rajon Rondo in Sacramento. <laughs> uh, who knows what that? And he's Kings got team and Ricky Rubio be. in Minnesota. And, yeah, I mean, on down the list. Like Ian said, it doesn't stop. Yep. But as you said, you know, you move forward, and we're going to move forward on the podcast. Very, very exciting spot for mine. Unfortunately, not so exciting for Vikram, Vikram our intern, yes, who's because he couldn't hear sitting a word in with it. us today. Couldn't hear a word of it, but I assure you, it was good. He got to, you know, basically sit here and watch us listen to Ian and not hear a word he said. So we apologize for that. But. We made some good faces. I hope, though. Okay, he says definitely. So we're all good on that. <laughs> Oh boy! You know when the when the news broke, I have to say this too because we you know we we often chat about things in a in a very candid way in the office. And when things broke on Friday, 
with the Darren Williams situation, uh, I was sitting around with uh, AJ, our other web editor, and we're we're talking about all the things that happen. And, and I often mention that, you know, there has to be some culpability, for lack of a better word, on Billy King for everything that has happened over the last few years because he's the architect of the team. He had the vision. It didn't work. But on the other side of town, even though Phil Jackson may have a vision, he's getting slammed well, for what's happening, for what Donnie Walsh and previous head honchos have done. Yet you don't ever hear anything on the other side about how this is now an experiment in Brooklyn with Billy King building this team that they got to the second round of the playoffs once. That that doesn't really work in, I, in, a, in a very weak East. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, and this is partially his fault too, it goes back to that continuity with coaches. Right. Because that's his call as well. Right. So you could put some blame on him for that. But you look at your players and you look at a guy like Brooke Lopez and you bring it up again, six coaches, seven years. Yeah. That's kind of hard to build a winning, yeah, you know, I, I mean, the, the thing atmosphere with, when you have right. different coaches coming in with different ideas and different ways of running things. The thing with that is three of those were under Kiki Vandeway and that group, Rod Thorne, all them, you know, because it was the Lawrence Frank beginning and then Barice for a couple games and then Kiki took over right. the sidelines. And then Billy comes in and Avery comes in to be the guy to lead the transition. It didn't get so far. Still missed that guy. But, uh, you know, then you, PJ, had, then you had PJ. Who, then Kid. And that's not that's not exactly Billy's fault either. No, I mean, the, the 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 no the the blame for, because for lack of a better no. for that is all on Jason. Because with Kidd. Jason Kidd, Billy King saw finally, you know, we got a guy. We're giving him a shot. We're retiring his jersey number. His first game, he's going to be here. You know, he's going to be our guy moving forward. Everybody's going to fall into line with what Jason yeah. wants to do. And at the end of the first year, Jason wanted more power and wanted Billy out. And away yeah, that's we go. not Billy's fault. So. And Greg Monroe went to the Bucks. And listening to hey, listening to Avery and PJ when they do guest spots on the radio or on ESPN is great because they it were is. also they were also very candid mm-hmm. when it came to things. You know, like you said, Lionel Hollins' filter is off. They PJ were, never pulled any punches. No, you would only get three questions in a PJ press conference because he would have a tendency to expound upon things for and, a lengthy and period of Avery, time. And Avery, Avery would always answer every question yep. regardless of how idiotic it may have been. He would have answered it, and he was nice in doing it too. Um, I always said one thing about Avery. That's why I miss Avery Johnson. I always said one thing about Avery, and when he when he was let go and they had the press conference and everything happened, every question he answered from the Nets beat came with a personal salutation to the person yes. asking the question. Yes. That, that tells you the kind of person Avery was. Yeah, and that's why I think the media misses him yeah. because of the way he treated us. And I think that kind of goes to – I think he was at ESPN before he was hired by the yeah. Nets. So he gets it. You know, he's been on both sides of the coin, player and then member of the media, then coach and now yeah. member of the media again. Hollins was a member of the media too, but that didn't seem to soften him too much. No. Well, for a very short period of time in between. I think it was serious stint. NBA radio yeah. he was he was a part of. But, you know, moving forward, uh, we've done 30 minutes on the Nets. I think it's time to make that transition and segue. <laughs> That was the, me uh, flipping the script. Yeah, to the uh, baseball portion of the program. Baseball has been very, very good to us. Um, so what do you want first? You want a little Yankees first half? You want to talk about specifics? I, I mean, I know in our pre-production meeting we, we, we talked about what we wanted to discuss. but We have a team that's 48-40 and 40 with a three-and-a-half game lead in the division. And the last time they were ahead at the break in first place was 2012. And the last time they were in first place they at the break, they made the playoffs. They won the AL East in that thrilling 
thrilling down the stretch with right, Baltimore where it was Orioles. never more than a game or and two. And where Mark DeShera didn't play the entire yep. month either at first base. And then CeCe Sabathia the throwing the complete game in game five of the ALDS, and that stadium was rocking three, on Friday night. 3-2 mm-hmm. final. It's Fangraphs updates their probabilities every every day. And as of the break, the Yankees had the highest percentage of odds of representing the American League in the World Series, which I found very interesting. Of all the teams, you know, the 100% chance of getting to the World Series for the American League, the Yankees, I think it was 11, and that's the highest, ahead of the, a little bit ahead of the Angels. That's interesting. Well, because you and I differ on our thoughts on this team in some ways, but I, I, as I said to Vikram earlier before, you know, we, we started – I think this is a team that's very capable of getting to the ALCS if they're healthy and built as they are now with maybe one or two tweaks. And you think that those tweaks could come with, from within. I do. Uh, but here's the problem. I just read Chad Jennings uh, this morning because he had a nice little blog about who might be. They had 11 debuts this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if Dugas. And De La Cruz, and De La Cruz which is Spanish for of the Cruz. If, if they actually played, they would have had the most. And right. I think they're tied with the Braves for the most debuts yeah. this Atlanta year. Yeah, Atlanta has 11 or 12. Yeah. So that's including and, Manny Banuelos. Right. Uh, a former Yankee, and he did well. <laughs> uh, but Luis, and Adonis Garcia. Here, here's, here's the problem with, with the Yankees that I, that I see. Uh, and obviously he's going to get a chance to turn things around in the second half, as he should. I think he should. Uh, and I'm talking about CC Sabathia, but Vikram and I both looked up his splits, and righties right now are batting what? 397. 397. If this, if CC Sabathia cannot turn things around, and consistently gives the ball to Joe Girardi in the fifth inning, or not completely through the sixth inning, that puts so much pressure on the other four starters in this rotation to give Girardi and the team length. Look, you could talk all you want about the tremendous bullpen the Yankees have. I don't care if they have rubber arms out there. By the time September comes around, and you've seen Tanaka have a couple starts mm-hmm. where you know he spit the bit and he's had to come out early. You've seen Evaldi, his past couple yeah. starts, you know, he he had a he had a nice little run, but if he Pineda's had a couple of clunkers in the Pineda's had clunkers, too. Nova's had clunkers. You're talking about one through five right now, not being consistent. They're all over the map. So if you put that on the table, I'm just trying to be a realist here. You could look and say if the Yankees pitching stays healthy, they'll make the playoffs. They can get to the ALCS. Yes, they can. And Little Red Riding Hood got to Grandma's house. Without the big bad wolf eating her. Yep. Can they get home is the question. Can they get home? Now, what, what was the opposite end, Vikram, of, of that split with CC? It was one, 197. Despite that, what that tells you right now is if you look at that and, and you go along the, the manual, which many people, you hear Joe Girardi in the binder all the time. If you go along with the manual, what that tells you is CC Sabathia cannot pitch at Yankee Stadium. You cannot let him pitch at Yankee Stadium because right-handed, right-handed batters are Ted Williams. The league yeah. is Ted Williams against CC Sabathia right. from the right side of the box. And lefty, Stephen Drew's also hitting below 200, but he's got 11 home runs. That can happen in Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, That's why I think the money always comes into the conversation. Right. You can't have a guy making that much money and put him out into the, into the bullpen to pasture. Here, here was the problem with, with, with Severino, because I, I think you know the kid 
could pretty much come up, not take over in the rotation, but I would like to see a couple of spot starts just to see what he has because he's undefeated since he's been called up to AAA. He's pitching very well. He's pitching extremely well with Scranton. But he's 25 innings away from the most innings he's ever ever pitched in a, in a season in his life. Right. That's the thing that's probably scaring the Yankees away from maybe making him the- – Make an and that's, impact. That's issue. the one reason why I disagree with you in terms of the fixes coming from within. I think if anything happens in the next two weeks with the Yankees, it's going to be a mid to back end starter that they go out and acquire. And but we, you can't trade the farm. You can't trade for the them. farm for it. But you know, we did some things on the website this week during the uh, the break, trade targets pieces with possibilities, and I threw out a few names. Jay Happ was one of them. Uh, Aaron Harang and or Chad Billingsley when. You know, Harang gets back to, if to you're health. If you thinking about Johnny Lee, Cueto, you know, stop. No, and no Cole Hamels and no, none of those guys. But Billingsley is half a dozen starts in from, you know, rehabbing a torn flexor tendon that, that left him out at the beginning of the year. Harang's on the DL with plantar fasciitis, which may be why he's been abysmal the last month after being so great in April and early May. Haps out there. Mike Leak, you know, from the Reds could command a little bit lesser, even though he's younger, could command a little bit of a lesser haul. Uh, Matt Lados, Dan Heron, those guys. There's a lot of those guys out there that can come in and be a number four starter. And think about this. You know that at least one pitcher, if not two, is going to go to the bullpen in the postseason because you never use more than four, and that fourth guy gets one or two starts. Well, let me ask you right now, point blank, on the spot, Yankees in the postseason, is CeCe starting one of those Absolutely not. What I was going to say is Tanaka Pineda are a good one-two. Nova or Rivaldi, you can go based on whoever, or if they acquire somebody like a Leak or a Heron or a Lados or one of those guys that's good as number three. Can you imagine those guys going five or six, and then you bring in CeCe, who you tell him, look, give me all you got for one inning, and it's going to be, you know, you bring in a lineup that looks like the Red Sox or, or the, uh, the Athletics, where they have two or three lefties in the span of three or four. Go out there for one inning and mow them down. But based on the inconsistencies by everybody in the rotation, I just don't see – like you could look at other teams in the American League. Like look at the Astros, for example. Uh, they, they got out to the fast start. They've kind of come yeah. back to the pack a little bit. Uh, but look at their starters. You know, you could look at Dallas Keuchel. Started the All-Star game. Right. I mean, he's that type of pitcher. As a lockdown starter. Yeah. And who's the other one? Oh, uh... They have Lance McCullers came up. They McCullers, have, um, but there's a... I forget his name. It escapes me. But they, you know, you, you look at a team like the Astros. You look at a team like the Royals. You look at a team even like the Twins, for crying out loud, who are playing better. Yeah. But I can't look at the Yankees... Or the Cardinals. You look at the Cardinals, you go one, two. Oh, my God. You know, how are we going to beat them? How are you going to look? <laughs> Without Wainwright, no less. How are you going to look at the Yankees in the, in the postseason based on what they've done in the first half, the starters, and say, oh, yeah, we got this win. Well, it's y- locked down. You never we know. And, and you mentioned reading some of Chad's blogs earlier. He also does like a one word to describe the team and then one word, like one question about the team, and that's out today. Um, and that's the big question is what happens because after you get to one and one A – it's one one a four 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 at this yeah. point. This you know to paraphrase the old Omar Minaya joke, you got a one and two, and you need a three and a four. The Yankees don't have a two and a three. They and, have a one and a one a and three fours. And in CC's defense, you know, it, three years ago it was CC and the Pips. Yeah, pretty much. I, it was him. He was carrying the load. So 
in my eyes, does CC get a pass? CC and Andy and Hobe J is dandy. That was 2009 right, right there. Right, I mean, does he get a pass for his past performances? Listen, there comes the guy's a, been pitching yeah. since when? 2001? Yeah. And averaging how many innings a year? 200 plus. 200, I think 250 sooner, the year he went to Milwaukee. Sooner or later. and you Father time's undefeated. I'm Chris. telling you right now. Father time is undefeated. And I'm telling you right now. You can't let the contract come into play. You just can't. Because anybody out there listening right now, that if they had a contract in front of them that had CC's amount staring at their face because of what they did in the past and the time allotted to him in the contract, if you're going to sit there and tell me you wouldn't have signed it. Yeah, I'd amputate a foot to get that kind of contract. You're lying through your freaking teeth. Or maybe my right index finger if I needed to amputate a piece. Yeah. Um, Look, here's the thing that's going to happen next year when you look at this. And we talked about this with Darren Williams and Andrea Bargnani with Ian a few minutes ago. Yes, you're gonna like you'd like CC a lot less at a lower salary with what he is now than you do at 21 and change million. But would you rather CC next year be a horrendously overpaid, terrible number five starter, which is his worst case scenario, or would you rather have him be a ridiculously overpaid yet average to really good middle reliever? Fifth starter. I mean, you know, look at it that way. What happens to him is what happens to him. Time catches up. On the other hand, Alex Rodriguez has played in 82 of the team's first 88 games and has matched his almost matched his numbers from 2013 or 2012 I should say his last full season already tax this year 22 homer 62 ribbies had that all year last year mm-hmm. he still got 74 games Brian to add McCann. to that total Brian McCann Ellsbury's only played 44 games He's still Brent in Gardner I mean these guys are carrying this team they I are I think there's three guys in 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 history that have hit 300 with 10 homers and 15 steals at the break. And he's one of them. There's a lot, you know, there's not a lot that needs to be done. Ref Snyder is here. Everybody can rejoice. You and I can rejoice. I can't wait to see the guy tomorrow and how at about, the stadium. I mean, you know, it's... How about his first home run at huh, Fenway Park? That turned out to be the game-winning home run when yeah, the Yankees defense turned into the right. Bad News Bears yes, on Sunday afternoon. Exactly. And how do you play defense? I, uh... He did okay. He made one error, but, you know. Woo! Yeah, so he's 15 behind Chase Hadley. That's yeah, fine. Exactly. You know, head, as Joe Girardi likes the, to call him. The kid could hit. I think that's apparent. And, you know, he didn't really rip the cover off the ball the entire time he was there, but it was two games. It was a small sample. Let's give the kid a chance. Let's let the pressure back off him a little bit. He makes his home debut. Tomorrow night, Seattle. Again, he's playing second base in the game where Robinson Cano makes his one trip to Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. this year. How about that? Yeah. Here's, here's what's going to be interesting now is how the roster moves shake out because Carlos Beltran should be back this weekend, if not tomorrow, this weekend. Mm-hmm. Brendan Ryan is apparently ready to go. The plan was just to let him rehab because it was easier that way. What do you do? I mean, Gregorio Petit might as well just not even join the team in New York because he's headed to Scranton at this point for somebody. Well, But what do you do for the other roster Brendan spot? Ryan can play second or short. So can Steven Drew. Ref Snyder can only play second. Right. So unfortunately, if I if I know Joe Girardi and how the Yankees think here, I'm pretty sure Ref Snyder's gonna be the odd man out and he's gonna be shipped back down. Which is unfortunate because I, I, I wanted to mention this point and numbers never lie. So Brendan Ryan is hitting three oh eight this season. He's four for thirteen. <laughs> 
extremely still hit, small. Still hitting 308. Extremely small sample size. Anorexic. I'm hit, I'm hitting 750 in softball because I'm like eight for. 13. Oh, what happened in your game last night? Oh, I'll get into that story <laughs> later. It makes me want to makes me want to pull uh, Earl Weaver on the guy who runs the league. I saw that tweet. I, I had to ask. Him, um. So. Two-ish years ago, mm-hmm. September 2013, when Derek Jeter finally shut it down for the year, right? the Yankees acquired Brendan Ryan from Seattle, paid him five, $600,000, whatever it was, for the month uh, to come over and be their shortstop. He wasn't going to be eligible for the postseason, but he was at least supposed to bridge in case they got there. They then signed him to a two-year deal with a third-year option that winter. $2 million this year, $2 million last year, $1 million player option for 2016. So they committed – you figure he's going to pick up the player option. I mean, why not? Committed five and changed five and a half million to this guy. We are now one and a half seasons into that two-year contract. So that's three and a half million mm-hmm. plus whatever they paid him. So we'll say he's at four million and change. As the Yankees hit 194 with one homer, 11 RBIs, and a 493 OPS. Now, months ago, I said to you, and I've said this to Doug back during the Yes Men days – that if somebody said, if the Yankees signed Hiroki Kuroda to a three-year, $48 million oh, contract. Oh, we talked about this, yeah. That people would be up in arms they like, would what are nuts. you doing? Right. But on a series of one-year deals that totaled $48 million, Kuroda looked like the biggest bargain out there. Absolutely. Now compare this. People are livid that you know the Yankees lit $5 million on fire in a bag, and it would have been better than Stephen Drew and all these other tweets I've seen. They've paid Brendan Ryan $4 million over the last two years. He's hit one ninety four. With, you know, no power, no, nothing to speak of, and good defense, yes, but nothing. He's done nothing for them. He played 17 games in September, in a, for most of them for a team that was out of contention. He played 49 games last year. He's been hurt more than he, he's been healthy, yet you don't, again, you don't hear well, the opposite side of it. So now when it comes down to these two guys, whether somebody's going, and if Ref Snyder's not the odd man out, that somebody is going to be Drew or Ryan. Well, then it has, that was my next question. I mean, how could you – I don't think you could get rid of Drew because as we talked about before no. we came on, he's a left-handed bat. He could play short or second. He can play any of he the – He could play same, third. Yep, same as Ryan. You keep Ref Snyder. Yep. Steven Drew becomes see your how, bench player. Right. See how he develops. Yeah. And you have Drew on the bench. Yeah. And you get rid of Ryan. And you have Perella. You have Petit. You have Cole Figueroa. Right. You have guys on the 40-man roster plenty that, of if, depth that if Ref Snyder 40. spits the yeah. bit, he goes down, somebody comes up, you somebody put Drew right up. back in at second right. base, and everything's happy. If you, it, today, if they, they have options. If That's they, the great if, thing. If they did it today, if they cut Steven Drew, they still owe him $2 million and change. If they cut Brendan Ryan, they still owe him almost $2 million. The money is almost equal. The production is almost equal outside of the power that Steven Drew shows, which is bizarre, but, you know, Rob Deere-esque, I guess. If Ref Snyder... Keeps hitting though, you can't. You have how to keep, can you, you send him there. back down? You can't. You can't. You can't. you can't take him out of the lineup. You can't. He's here. Deal with it. So it's gonna be. It's gonna be an interesting second. It's a seventy-four game sprint to the finish, and it's gonna be very interesting to see how they navigate the waters. And that's not counting Greg Bird, Aaron Judge. You mentioned right. Severino. They're mm-hmm. among those guys that are right there, bubbling under the surface. If and Bel- Gary Sanchez, who's turning it on. Yep. If Beltran gets hurt again, you never know. It may be Aaron Judge time. And he's on the 40. Yes. And you could have you could carry three catchers in September. Uh, Sanchez, Gary Sanchez and 
Tyler Austin are the only two players. Domingo Herman as well, but he's out with Tommy John. Mm-hmm. The only two players the Yankees have on the 40-man roster that haven't seen the major leagues. De La Cruz and Duga were on the 40-man yeah. for a little while. They didn't play or whatever. But those are the two guys on the 40-man that haven't seen the majors. They will be here September 1st. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Austin probably for the experience because he's had an up-and-down season. He's been hurt a lot in Scranton. Sanchez kind of deserves it at this point. Aaron Judge, maybe uh, again if Beltran gets hurt, he hasn't really played well at AAA. But the Yankees, or he hasn't hit well. But right. the Yankees know he could hit. Right, and he didn't really hit well at the beginning when he moved up every level. A, yeah, it's the same when he moved from Charleston to Tampa, he struggled a little bit early on, but then picked it up and turned it on. So we'll see what happens. But it's going to be a very interesting second half. I can't wait. To it get is, started. and you know, it's going to be exciting. I suppose, and Yankee fans could get behind this because you know, in years before, like. 2013, 2014, you didn't have the same chance, the same no. realistic chance that the team has this year and that they had in 2012 to actually hold off somebody in the division and win right. it. This year, right. the Yankees have that chance. They've positioned themselves to be in it in September uh, in that four-team horse race. Right. And you can't, you can't even you can't count, even count the, Red the Red Sox. Sox. But here are the guys – that you know, Brett Gardner is leading the team in average. He has a 302 average. Tex home runs and RBI. You can't say enough about Teixeira with the healthy wrist. Yep. The guy, he's he's you know he doesn't hit for average, whatever. So what? Who cares? He's giving you the power numbers right now. And you know I've said it ad nauseum on this podcast for the years that you know it seems like Joe Madden's the one that came up with the shifts and got the whole league going nutso with the shift, but. Teixeira, guys like McCann, and I know there's arguments like, well, hit the other way, hit the opposite way. But they've had so many hits taken away from them. I'm convinced Teixeira, back in 09, I don't know what he hit back in 09, but but I'm convinced. I believe it was 270, around 270. He could have been a 300 hitter. Yeah. If, if not for the shift. You know what? He could have been, when he hit 240 and 250, he could have been at 275, 280. You know what, Chris? If... Gardner's leading the team in average, and Ellsbury's back, and A-Rod's doing what he's doing. Teixeira's going to go one for four on average and hit 250. If that one for four is a three-run homer, more often than not, that's we'll the, take it. That's the thing, because you have so many guys around him in McCann. In, uh, Didi Gregorius is hitting the ball well lately. Chase Headley's, I mean, he did very well in the number two hole while Jacoby was out. And now Ellsbury's back, as you said. So the lineup for the Yankees, which was the problem Last year. 292 to share a hit in 2009. 292. Uh, and what did he hit the past couple of years? 256, 248, 251 in 12. Uh, the truncated season, and then 216 last year. I'm, I'm convinced those mid-200 yeah, averages. Yeah, and the 216 was the wrist added in. Right. So. But the mid-200 averages, he could have been at 270, 280 yeah. easy without getting robbed of hits in the shift. And those, I'm talking about... Line drives into the middle of right field that the second base talking about catching. exit velo. Oh boy, do you have the analytics on how bunts exit can, velo and bunts? Can we please? Can we please stop for for serious? <laughs> can you we guys, stop? Seriously, can we stop with the exit velo? Do we have to come up with baloney numbers and 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 analytics on everything? And I think we talked about this already on the podcast. I think we led with it the last time. But I was going to tweet it. I was going to tweet the picture from Major League. 
Too high. What do you mean too, too high? Who, too who hard. Gives, who gives? It's gone. It's gone. We, it doesn't. I don't care. We did this last week for it doesn't minutes. impress me that the ball. Guess what? If if a ball is pitched at ninety eight, it better leave at hundred miles an hour. Let me let me tell you. Let me tell you all you need to know about exit velo. You could hit a a rocket right into somebody's glove. It's an out. Possibly a double play if somebody's on base. I hit a ball the other night uh-huh. that I had two strikes on me. I wasn't going to strike out looking because the pitcher's good. And I, the you, tomahawk job? You? If you foul out, if you hit a foul ball with two strikes, it's still not out. a strikeout, though. No. I tomahawked one that was basically like the, the flight of a, of a pitching wedge mm-hmm. over the shortstop's head. It was a single. The exit veal on that was probably like in the negatives. Still a single. <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense. And by the way, I don't know how it was humanly possible on Sunday, but I managed to give up 16 runs. Not all of them earned, but 16 runs in an inning and a third. Mm. It's a very Chris LaRue performance for the, you. The, the team we played was a much. It was not the Milford Hunters? It was not. It Somebody was, did that on purpose. It was the Bridgeport Dodgers. Oh. And then to make matters worse, after I got shelled, that, that has a different meaning in Bridgeport Dodgers, yeah. the then, trolley Dodgers. Then the the coach felt sorry for me, so he put me into pinch hit later in the game, and it was at the end of the lineup. And normally, our the end of the lineup doesn't really get on. What happens? I'm I'm cleaning up that inning, batting tenth. The first three guys get on, and I ground into a double play with the bases loaded. That's your karma for outstaging me in the Trenton softball game four just, months ago. Just to put the cherry on top yeah. <laughs> to of my the, great of Sunday. Of the chicken you-know-what Sunday? Yes, my, my great Sunday of baseball. My, I mean, I was in the dugout with a towel over my head. Outstanding game, Shearney, you battle them all. Yeah, talking to my coach saying, I think I'm, I think I'm done. I, I, it's just every week I'm getting embarrassed. I, I can't do it anymore. And, you know... I'm not going to throw my teammates under the bus. You know, errors happen. I, I have to make pitches. And I was making pitches. But this team, I'm not making it up. I would paint the corner with a slider, and they would just stick the bat out and knock it over the second base. Take what you're head. given. Yeah, take what you're given. Everybody. They There's... were like, if you remember the Gas House Gorillas from the Bugs Bunny cartoon, mm-hmm. yep. they, it was a conga line around the bases. The, the number three hitter, who was probably – the best hitter I've seen in this league in my six or seven years playing, they went around the lineup so fast that he was in the batter's box again, and I looked in and said, you can't be up again. <laughs> you know, I, I know it's softball and hardball are different, but we had a game like that earlier this season where we scored 29 runs against a team, uh, 23 of them in one inning, and our number 11 hitter was two for two with four RBIs. In the same inning? And was on deck for his third at bat in the same inning. Because we, we started at like eight and just worked our way around almost three times. Literally looked into my dugout and asked my manager if they were batting out of order. Yeah. It was that Not bad. So much. Not so much. And this kid who is so serious didn't even bat an eyelash, didn't even crack a smile. He was like Mike Trout, like all business in the batter's box. Like they're up 16 to nothing. He's running in after the third out. Let's get more. Let's get more. I'm like, this is Captain America Sunday baseball. Yeah. I was like, dude, tone it down. There's a a team like that in my softball league in Westchester. Um, Some of them are good guys. Some of them are dicks. Great player, but oh my goodness, stop. Yeah, they they take things way too seriously. We played them last two weeks ago, 
if we played them deep, they'd dink in singles. If we played them a little shallow, they'd bomb them over our head. Mm-hmm. We shift a little bit because they're pulling everything. The guys would go to the right side. Mm-hmm. Just no matter what you did, they had the answer for it, and it, we lost like 22 to nothing. I mean, we got clobbered. I, and listen, I have great teammates. I, I'm sitting there with a towel over my head, and every one of them patted me on the back, rubbed my head, sat down, talked to me. Wouldn't Because I was downright despondent. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a competitor. You know that. I, I don't play this for fun. I play to win. I, I want to win every week, and I haven't won a game. I think I've started six games. I haven't even won a game, let alone many games, enough to necessitate a win column. I am, I am 0-6. Our first baseman, Ryan Verge, we're getting ready to go out there. We're in our little huddle. He goes, can we just get a win for Sherney? Can, can we just get a W, please? And everybody starts laughing. I said, no, 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 no. I signed for that. <laughs> but this team, I mean, they're 9-0 and now that they yeah. beat us. They're just from 1-9. to nine, They remind me of the 92 Blue Jays. Because the Yankees used to play them, obviously, in the it's, same division. It's semi-pro. Devon White may actually be playing for And them. from one to nine, th- even Mike Gallego on that team, yeah. you couldn't get them out. Tony Fernandez, all the way down that line. Joe all, Carter. So, and Robbie Alomar. Hey, I, listen, th- that, that <laughs> still beats what happened to me yesterday, and I'm going to put on blast – the director of Stanford Recreation Software. All right, hit I'm me up. I'm going to put him on blast. You, you have, you In have, case you listen to this podcast, minutes. I'm coming for you. You have three minutes. Hit me. You, you saw what the weather was like in this area yesterday. You saw what it was like yeah. Tuesday night. Uh-huh. We played in Lewisboro on Tuesday night. We got clobbered, but we played. Our game was at 615 at Kosciuszko Park, which is down mm-hmm. right across from our building. You can almost see it from here, okay, from the end of the parking lot. Thank God I don't use Vine. (laughs) Um, At 3.57 p.m., we all get an email from the guy who runs my team. Uh Just heard from the league. The game has been moved to 7.15 at Cummings 5 because Costco is unplayable. It it floods. It's right on the peninsula. It floods when it rains a lot. Uh Fine. Okay, great. 7.15, games pushed back an hour or whatever. It's at Cummings 5. We all head over to Cummings 5, which is also right here Mm -hmm. two minutes away. We get there, and the league director looks at me, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? I said, we're playing here. We, we end up with the 715. He's like, no, no, you don't. So the one team that was batting, the guy who was running the team, was like, no, we're playing, we're playing a doubleheader, and the other team we're playing is here. There was like three guys that were like, mm-hmm. what the, you know, WTF, mate? Yeah, this yeah. is not LOL. <laughs> so we look, up, we look up on the Stanford Recreation website, because the league director's like, I don't know, things are so messed up. You know, today, whatever. We look on the website. The website has us changed to 715. It's Scalzi 3. Which is across which town. Which is across town. And at that time. Which is Stamford downtown at 7 o'clock at, at night. At that time, it's about a half hour, 45 minute commute. It, was, it took us all about 20 to get okay. there. Okay. We show up. The league director is like, yeah, you guys don't have a game. The games here were canceled because this field is unplayable, too. Oh, my ever-loving. So we went from having a 6-15 game at Cosk to a 7-15 at Cummings 5 to a 7-15 at Scalzi 3 to no game in the span of three hours. But you don't. But nobody told us the latter two you... until we got to where we thought we were supposed to you be. You don't twice. have a life? What do they need no. to tell you for? I mean, I just moved this weekend. I'm going to see the Foo Fighters tonight. I'm going to the stadium tomorrow. I got things to do. I got... You know, my cable was out last night mm-hmm. for some reason. I got issues to take care of. If I could have gone home from here yeah. at 5.30 last night. You could have gotten all that stuff done. Instead of. And enjoyed the concert yeah. tonight without it being on your conscience. Instead of instead of staying there, I, I would have. But so many people. I have a friend who plays 
open co-ed plays on Wednesday nights as well. They play at Scalzi Park. I have a friend who who plays on one of the teams. And she posted a picture on Facebook of her team, like, hanging out, having a beer, like, whatever, mm-hmm. playing softball. So I wrote back. I was like, well, at least you guys played. And she's like, no, we didn't. Our, we got to the field. We had a 6-15 game. We got to the field. And at 6 o'clock, we were told it was unplayable. The game was canceled. Like, why? How do you just not say, all right, games are canceled today. There's multiple unplayable fields. Rather than deal with it, we'll push it back. How do you let this happen? How do you botch, how do you botch the situation that badly? I sent him a nice email this morning. You gotta have better communication. And by nice email, I basically called him a complete moron. So, good luck with all that. Good luck with that, <laughs> as our friend Joe Oriama used to say. <laughs> and not only that, at at the end of the, the game that happened, uh... at the end of the, one of the games, the first game on the second field we were at ended at seven o'clock. They called it because there's a rule: no new inning can start after a certain time. Uh-huh. There's a doubleheader the set, uh-huh. but they called it slightly early. And the shortstop on the team, even the winning team, no less, was hot at the umpires that they called it early. Like it was just, it was just a, a chicken, you know what, show all around yesterday. Well, you know. Also, Francisco Rodriguez, who plays uh-huh. for the worst team and second worst team in the National League, Milwaukee, gave up the winning. What ended up being the winning runs to the American League. Yes. So when the Cardinals or Clayton Kershaw didn't have a good night either. When the Cardinals or the Dodgers or any of the other teams that have 50 wins, three of the four teams with 50 wins are in the National League. None of them will have home field advantage in the World Series because Francisco Rodriguez, who's on the second worst team in the league, gave up the winning runs in the All-Star game. Just want you to chew on that in case anybody thinks the All-Star game should mean something. I didn't see it because I watched this much of the All-Star game. I watched the same amount of the ESPYs. See what I'm doing there? Yeah. I watched zero of the All-Star game because I was – at softball, and Lou was showing me zero, zero. So down, yeah. yeah. I watched some of the All Star game. I did not tune into the ESPYS, so I really can't. Derek Jeter got the Icon Award. Good for him. Yeah, I just I can't. And the Nets won their summer league game because Julia Okafor was at the ESPYS and not playing with the Sixers in Vegas. <laughs> so they actually won, they actually won a game. This that makes summer. sense. Why Why shouldn't he be there? Yeah. Instead of with his team, right? Playing in why, the uh, why should he be at the ESPYS instead of like his actual job? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, I don't get it. Caitlyn Jenner also won the Carriage Award. Uh, who? Yeah. Who? Who's this now? Somebody I, posted a meme on Facebook this morning. It was two, oh, that's what I wanted to say. It was two soldiers helping a wounded soldier. Somebody mm-hmm. was like, BRB guys, go and watch Caitlyn Jenner get the Courage Award. It was pretty funny. I just want to throw this out there. As you know, I bring them up from time to time. Listen to Opie and Jimmy mm-hmm. on the XM radio. Serious XM. They had D.L. Hughley on. Very funny individual. Very funny. And he brought up that there were two or three publications that said Serena Williams looks like a man. <coughs> yet Caitlyn Jenner is beautiful. If that doesn't sum up where we are right now. Because Serena Williams. Good looking woman. I'll tell you right now. Good looking woman. She had an evening gown on. She's a good-looking woman. She looked fantastic. <laughs> I don't know where she was. I don't know what the picture was that they were commenting on. She did not look like a man. There were also a lot of people who And were... how? Wait. How is that okay? How is that completely fine to say that and put it in print, but, the Caitlin but you can't that. say anything yep. about that? There was one media outlet that also said, you know, Caitlyn Jenner is getting a Courage Award for what he, she did. What about Lauren Hill? 
the basketball player uh, from we, Mount St. Joseph. Yeah, I mean, we've, like we've been through this. And and here's the thing, you know, if Caitlyn Jenner really wanted to continue to do positive things, okay, every cent, every cent of her show, her reality show, which pretty much I read also, speculation, who knows, but she wanted this award. For some PR for the show that she's gonna have, it was which very, is like a Kardashian spinoff. It was very courageous of Caitlyn Jenner to like try to flee the scene of a fatal accident too earlier right. this year. So very courageous. What, of, what, her. what, what, yeah. what happened there? Yeah. But he, she gets a pass on all this stuff. I understand. I get that there's a problem with transgenders um, having. Problems with people accepting them. Some of them committing suicide. If she really wanted to do something for that cause, every cent from that reality show that she makes should go to that cause. You want to do something positive? Do that. Not a bad idea. I don't need to see you on the ESPYs. I don't need to see you on a reality show. Go behind the scenes and be that person for the transgender community. That is more courageous and heroic than walking up on a stage and receiving that. Another thing that Hughley said, the Arthur Ashe Award, the Courage Award. Arthur Ashe was African-American, obviously, and played in a white person sport, tennis, when he was coming up. In Virginia, which was still segregated at the time. Yep. That's courage. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And I know people, there's different, but, there's but you different know amounts of courage for different people. And there's different ways of courage for different people. I get that too. Can we have the liquid courage award for the SBs? And like someone gets up there and goes off on a drunk rant. I'd win that easily. Yeah. Here's the thing though. It worked because can you name possibly last year's, if you just think about what was in the Stuart news last Scott. year. No, it was I Michael thought, Sam. I thought it was Stuart Scott. No, he won the, he won a different award. It wasn't that. Oh, all right. Or maybe that was two years ago. So when Michael Sam won it the year he came out last year. Can you name any other winners of that award off the top of your head? Arthur Ashe. Besides Arthur Ashe, obviously. No, because it's just an award. This, so what, what happened, what they did, the way they did it, it worked. This is, it did exactly what they wanted to do. Exactly. And that's what gets under my skin. If you're going to sit there, and I said this before Bob Costas said it. I said it before he put his little article out there on the internet. I said it on this podcast. So, Bob, if you're listening, I appreciate you listening and copying me. I really do because I have a lot of respect for you as a broadcaster, and I've always looked up to you. So thank you. Anyway. He looks I, up to you, literally. I, well, Just saying. Go ahead. Literally. Uh, <laughs> whatever. But anyway, this is what I said back then. If, you gonna, if you're going to sit there and think for a second that ESPN didn't do this for publicity and publicity only – you are nuts. You're nuts. And you're lost. I got some beachfront property in Kansas to sell you. You're absolutely lost. I, I can't even look at you in the face or take you seriously. I can't. And Lauren Hill, the fact that she's not even up for th- she wasn't even up for it or got pushed to the side for Caitlyn Jenner just so his reality show could get a little boost and ESPN could boost the ratings because you know it's train wreck television who doesn't want to see yep. Bruce Jenner in a dress which was doubly doubly I didn't watch it, though it was I, a doubly I, I wasn't poignant, taken in by it. a doubly like the point was doubly made 
when yesterday afternoon or evening on ESPN on SportsCenter afterwards, they had the long form of uh, Shelly Smith. Yeah. Talking to and why didn't she win it? Yeah. She survived cancer right. for Christ's sake. And I forget I forget the kid's name and I apologize for that. But the the he's going to USC. He's the long snapper. Yes, he went blind. Yes, yes. yes and yes. how they had a lifelong connection right. when she first interviewed him. That entire long form feature aired on SportsCenter afterwards. But a guy who changed his gender wins the courage, wins the award. courage award. That doesn't seem that is the perfect way to put it. One of their own beat cancer. And was very public about it throughout the mm-hmm. course of her battling it. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. But and, then and they would have got then they would have gotten accused of self-aggrandizing because they gave. I it. wouldn't have. Not somebody who comes back from c- cancer. Somebody people would would do it. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. But I there's wouldn't. People that would. Yeah. Well, I would have taken that at face value than what they what they did do. And and, and props to Ronda Rousey too. She's a badass. Speaking of good-looking women. Oof. Who could beat you senseless? Yeah. <laughs> Did you, you want to tell Ronda Rousey she looks like a man? No. Yeah, no. No. And she looked good in Expendables three, man. She looked. Her book is pretty good. If you haven't read it, I haven't. Her her book it's pretty good. Really good, actually. Yeah, but definitely worth a pickup. She had a nice little zinger for Floyd. Hmm. Yeah. I had a nice little zinger for Floyd in one of our Niners a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was uh, – we did athletes we'd like to see in WWE. Uh-huh. We think would be good in WWE, and Floyd Mayweather was one of them. I go plus, – the, and the, the whole butt of the joke was that, you know, plus he already has one WWE match under his belt, and it's probably the most punches he's ever landed inside a ring. <laughs> so. He's a surgeon. He knows how to box. Get it's in, like, get out, get paid. It's like a pitcher knows how to pitch. You know, when you, when you lose your velo, mm-hmm. uh, your entrance, he, your entrance. He lives, ent- he, lives by the, he lives by the Junior Mafia Creed. You now, know what? Get money. Now, hold on. It, it, can we have an analytic that's an entrance velocity? Entrance velo? Well, it is. It's called a pitch velocity. Well, I need, we need to change it. Entrance velo. If it's exit, we need entrance. What about backdoor velo on like a slider that drops in or like, you know, front door velo on one that sweeps across or... Uh, vertical velo on, on a twelve to six curveball. Can, oh, we, can we go? How do we get back to velo? I don't know. But you should see the velo. I'm going to hit the stop button on this thing because we've reached the magic hour and then some. All right, as always. Hey, we want to thank Ian Eagle. Uh, we want to thank Vikram uh, for for sitting in and listening to this ridiculousness. I'd like to thank the... him for taking an hour off from all the stories he's been inundating me with all summer. <laughs> These guys have done a lot of work on the website. Him and Matt Heffler, who was on with us a few That's weeks good ago, to hear. have done a That's lot of great work for YesNetwork.com this summer, so I encourage you to read it if you haven't been already. There you go. Little plugola for Vikram. Hey, I'm the head editor of the website. I gotta, I'm going to make you listen to it. You're the, head- it you're the head editor? I'm the head editor. All right, on that note, uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. Don't forget, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. Just go to iTunes, and app on your smart device. It'll make you so intelligent and so bright to download this podcast on a weekly basis. We have so much fun. We hope you did, too. We'll see you next week, everybody.